Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always, along with Josh Marlowe. The Tar Heels turning to the second half of their season officially here. Uh, Carolina seven games in, but this feels like the halfway point here coming off the bye week as they now turn their attention towards the game against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in South Bend, Indiana on Saturday night. It'll be a 7.30 kick on NBC and uh, Carolina going into a place where they have not had a ton of success. We're going to break that game down in depth coming up. We'll take a look at the history between the two teams. We'll get to know the opponent that Carolina will be facing. We'll tell you the keys to the game give our official predictions, and we'll also get you out of here with a couple of other small notes around Tar Heel football. But we do have to start with the top storylines. Carolina, of course, uh, with three guys entering the transfer portal uh, here in uh, the last week. We, of course, talked to you about Choffrey Brown entering the transfer portal. He has been joined in the last couple of days by Clyde Pinder Jr., uh, the defensive tackle couple of classes ago uh, Carolina signed him uh, you know it was a guy that was coming in uh, sort of to be that big guy in the middle of the Tariel defense hasn't really worked out uh, and it, he is going to enter the portal and look to move on and then Josh Henderson the depth running back is in the portal as well as of today he was a guy that you know came in as a freshman saw some reps in garbage time was really looked at as potentially one of those next guys that could be a part of the rotation once uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter eventually left uh, that sort of as it materialized over the last couple of years 
didn't work out quite that way, and he had been reduced to uh, a guy that only played in three games this season after playing in all 12 a year ago and eight in his freshman season. So he is in the transfer portal. Um, in terms of the impact for these guys, I think defensive tackle with, with Clyde Pinder, I think Carolina is in a tremendous spot down on the defensive line. I don't think that's one they've got to be all that concerned about. Uh, you're seeing guys like uh, Christian Varner, Jaleel Taylor taking the snaps over him. Remember that they still do have um, uh, a guy in Kedrick Bingley-Jones that we haven't seen a lot of as well down there, former four-star. So Carolina's depth down there looks pretty good, and that's one they should be able to navigate. At running back, very, very similar. Carolina uh, will have a bunch of guys coming back next year. Ty Chandler will not be back. Uh, British Brooks, another guy that you're kind of unsure of, but the rest of the guys in that stable will return. So guys like DJ Jones, uh, Caleb Hood, Kamaro Edmonds, who we haven't seen a ton of this year but could see more of going forward, Elijah Green, and then, of course, you are bringing in two talented running backs in the 2022 class, two four-star guys uh, that some people kind of look at and think could be the next Michael Carter, Javante Williams type uh, when they eventually get to campus in uh, in-state running back Amarian Hampton and uh, Virginia running back uh, George Petaway. So, you know, that I, I think Carolina's in, in solid spots uh, with both of those. I don't think those ones really hurt all that much. I think out of the three, we can kind of agree that Choffrey Brown is probably the biggest of the group. But I feel like for the most part, this was something that we were expecting. Mac Brown pretty much came out and told us, hey, we're going to have these meetings to try to figure out where these guys are going. Uh, if they're you know, trying to get into the transfer portal, let's get them in there, get them some opportunities uh, to end up going you know, elsewhere before some of these other big names get in there and they get lost in the wash. And it'll also give us a chance to evaluate where we're at in terms of going into the offseason. So uh, I, I feel like Carolina is still sitting in a pretty solid spot as of right now. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, this was expected. This will be every bye week moving forward as long as the transfer for portal is a thing where you're going to reevaluate your roster um, and, and get guys who who are ready to move on out of your program. That way, you can help. You can start identifying your roster needs heading into the off season in terms of recruiting. And of course, Carolina's going to use the transfer portal um, to their advantage as well. It, it, losing Chaffrey hurts because he had the potential to be a big time player for you at the wide receiver position, but. It hadn't really happened this year, so it's just a chance for Carolina to move on from all of these guys. They move on from Carolina, and you got to figure out the best you can these last five games. You try to make a bowl game. Yeah, and uh, I, I, it starts, of course, with this game on Saturday in South Bend, place where Carolina has never won. This is the 20th all-time meeting between the Tar Heels and the Fighting Irish. Notre Dame has a 19 one and O edge in the series. They have a, Carolina has lost the last three meetings, uh, including back-to-back -back in Keenan, uh, the last two meetings there. Uh, now they'll go on the road to South Bend for the first time since uh, the matchup back in 2014 that Carolina lost in a shootout, 50-43. to um, Carolina has lost four of the last five since the 2006 matchup, which was the first meeting between the two since... Uh, or since 1930 or 1975, uh, which was 31 years in between matchups between the two teams. 
Carolina, uh, their lone win in the series came at home back in 2008. Of course, most people remember that is the game that Cam Sexton started at quarterback for the Tar Heels, and they took down the Fighting Irish. Um, you know, again, history doesn't bode well for Carolina. Uh, this is a place where they have historically really struggled. They've had that one game back in 2014 was about as close as they've come. But uh, I, I think this is this is one of those chances for Carolina. The way they have to put this in their mind is, look, there are no expectations for this team going forward. Most people believe that they will lose every single FBS game that they have left on the schedule. So I, I think that this, if if Mac Brown wants the pressure off of his team, it, it, it's off of them in this game, and this could be their. But one of their better chances to get a win probably uh, on the road in South Bend. Yeah. Um, you want to salvage a loft season, go on the road and beat Notre Dame. And a lot of Tar Heel fans, not me, but a lot of Tar Heel fans will forget the, the losses to Georgia Tech and to Florida State because this type of win would be meaningful. It's going to be in prime time on NBC. Um, you know, and it's going to, it's, it's, this was a game when we got the schedule we thought was going to be a make or break it for Sam Howell's Heisman candidacy. Um, a chance for Carolina to maybe cement themselves as a college football playoff contender or pretender. All that's out the window. You're four and three. You're one of the biggest disappointments in college football. But if you find a way to beat a Notre Dame team which is beatable then it, it, it'll it'll make up for what's been a rather disappointing season with that being said Carolina will have to play the best game they've played all year to beat the Irish yeah no, there's no doubt about that and look I mean this Notre Dame team isn't great I mean, look, they're they're ranked 11th in the country, but they've had a lot of close calls so far early this season, and they haven't played their best football. But it's still a team that's putting up 31 points per game. The total yards per game really shows that they're how inconsistent their offense has been 369 total yards per game they're throwing for 262.3 yards per game which is probably a little bit shocking considering some of the guys they brought back they are averaging just 106.7 rushing yards per game that's something that you definitely didn't think you'd see with Kyron Williams coming back and we'll talk about him here in just a minute on the defensive side of the football numbers not bad but not quite as dominant as they've been in some other years, 23.1 points per game uh, allowed, 369.7 total yards per game, 245.9 through the air, but a good run defending team at just 123.9 rushing yards per game. Now the thing is, Carolina last year against that defense, that was one of the better run defenses in the entire country a year ago. Uh, they were held to just 87 yards rushing on 30 carries, and that was with the both guys, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, coming into that game uh, relatively healthy, and uh, that that was a really big game for Carolina at the time. That was one where if Carolina would have won that one, uh, could have put them pretty solid. That probably would have put them into the ACC championship game at the end of the season. Um, but that one, of course, did not go their way. Carolina was outscored. 14 to nothing in the second half of the game last year. Now, one of the things that does help for Carolina in this game is arguably the best defensive player in the entire country this season 
Kyle Hamilton, the star safety for the Fighting Irish, will not play in this game on Saturday. He was banged up in uh, their game over the weekend against USC. Uh, it was a knee injury. Um, and, you know, for, for us, you know, since we're a Toriel podcast, not really concerned about, you know, his, his health going forward um, in terms of like a timeline or whatever. We really don't know. Uh, but he will not play in this game uh, against the Tar Heels. You look at some of the guys that they have, though, and look, Jack, it, their, their quarterback situation is kind of strange. I mean, they've got Jack Cohen, uh, nearly 1,400 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, four interceptions, but he's been on and off the bench at times this year. He's also been banged up. Uh, Tyler Buckner, that's the guy to keep an eye on if you're a Toriel fan out of the quarterbacks. Uh, so far this season, he only has 22 pass attempts for 215 yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. But he's carried the ball 29 times for 178 yards and two touchdowns. They like to use him in a lot of running situations at quarterback. As we know, Carolina, not the greatest team at slowing down running quarterbacks. Kyron, Kyron Williams, uh, a guy that uh, hurt Carolina last year. Um, one of the guys that I think a lot of people thought was going to come in and probably be one of the nation's leading rushers this season. Uh, hasn't been that bad, but hasn't really been as great as people probably thought. 121 carries so far this year, 501 yards and six touchdowns, but he has caught the ball well out of the backfield. 25 receptions for 242 yards and three touchdowns. Chris Tyree's a guy to keep an eye on, though. They rotate him in and out sometimes. Uh, he, you know, can do it all. He has 112 uh rushing yards this season on 35 carries, 117 receiving yards on 13 receptions, uh, and has a touchdown uh, in both in both the running and receiving game and is also a pretty dynamic returner, uh, averaging almost 30 yards per game in, in kick returns and also has a kick return touchdown. Another guy that bothered the Tar Heels a year ago that they've got to find a way to take uh, out of this game is Michael Mayer, the tight end. He leads them in receiving 37 receptions, 414 yards and three touchdowns. Two relatively dynamic receivers as well that have had pretty solid seasons. Kevin Austin uh, with 356 yards receiving and three touchdowns. Avery Davis, 317 yards receiving and three touchdowns. They spread the ball around a lot. There's a lot of different guys that are going to get involved for them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, JT Bertrand leads them in tackles by a mile. He has 65 total tackles already this season. Uh, four and a half tackles for loss. The guy that you really need to know, though, is Isaiah uh, Foskey. Uh, he has 32 total tackles this season. Eight of them are for a loss. Seven and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. So he is all over the place. And that is one that Carolina's got to key in. One thing that is interesting, though, a guy that came in with some really great stats earlier in the year when Carolina played him was Jermaine Robinson, the defensive end from uh, from Florida State. He really didn't have that big of a game in that game. Carolina did a pretty solid job of neutralizing him. They're going to have to do the same in this game against Foskey. You've got the uh, Adam Yola brothers. Uh, those two guys, pretty productive. They have been for the last couple of years that play on the edge. Drew White 
their man in the middle. 32 total tackles this year. Uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on in this game. And then Cam Hart on the outside is their corner that you'll have to keep an eye on. He has two interceptions, fourth pass deflections to go along with 25 total tackles. So again, talent kind of all over the place. One of the things that a lot of people were looking at with this team when they thought they could take a step back this year was the fact that their offensive line had lost four or five starters from last year. Their offensive line this year is not good at all. But I told you when we were talking about this game after the Miami game, this is probably a matchup of two of the worst offensive lines in all of college football. The problem is is that even in those types of matchups so far, Florida State, Miami, Carolina, their defensive line hasn't really been able to take over. They need to do that in this game. Yeah, it's going to be a slap-off on Saturday night between two offensive line groups that frankly aren't good, and they're not going to be good the rest of the year. The one thing that you give Notre Dame's offensive line more of an edge than Carolina's, they're simply more physical. Um, and they, they have the they have a more natural ability to wear down the defensive line because of the way that they play. Carolina were not as physical up front. That's going to be the determining factor in this game for the Tar Heels anyway. But this is a chance for this defensive line to come out, make some plays, and, and give this defense a chance to be competitive on the road um, in what's going to be the, the, the uh, an extremely hostile environment. Um, and so we'll be interested to see what, what scheme does Jay Bateman and, and, and Tim Cross come up with. Who do they use? Um, I'm at the point now where I don't care about rotation. you got to play your best players, um, and they just got to fight through being tired because that's their job. Um, but this this is a chance for this def- for this defense to, to turn around what's been a disappointing season for that group overall. Yeah, and, and I I think that's one of the things. I mean, they've got to be able to get after Cohen. That's when he has been forced into mistakes is when there is pressure in his face. And he's a guy that has been banged up. I mean, he, so he's a guy that if you can get some pressure on him, uh, he, he is going to, you know, he is susceptible. And that's something that Carolina, I think, you know, they've, they've got to look to be aggressive down the stretch of the season. And he's a guy that, you know, when he can stand back there and pick you apart, he has done that so far this season. It's very interesting considering he was never really able to do that at Wisconsin, but they've got some talent at wide receiver. They've got a tight end that gave Carolina problems a year ago and has given a lot of the country problems so far. So they've got to be able to get after the quarterback. Um, and, and yeah, this this is still a team that even though they haven't had the best season so far this year and they will be without probably their best player uh, overall, I, it's, it's still a team that I think is one of the better ones in the country you know, you're coached by Brian Kelly, who's done a tremendous job. He's definitely not the most likable coach out there. I think most people would agree with that. But he's a guy that's done a tremendous job there and has built them into a very consistent program at the top of the country. So this is going to be a tough test and is one, especially with Carolina's offensive line going up against that defensive line. That they struggled with them a year ago, and that was when that offensive line was playing relatively well, especially for their standards. Now they're going to be coming in really struggling, and I think this is especially for that offensive line. Them and the wide receivers, as we talked about in the midseason um, edition of the podcast, where we talked about the one the, the groups that need to take steps forward. You've got to see this offensive line in this game start to turn 
a corner because if not, the, these next, especially these next three weeks, are going to be just unbelievably difficult to watch uh, from a Tar Heel offensive perspective. Yeah, you mentioned the next three games are all against ranked opponents and teams that are playing for a lot more than you are right now, so they're going to be more motivated to go out there and, and get a win. Teams whose defensive lines, like Wake Forest is inside the top 10 in pass rush, Pitts inside the top 15, and Notre Dame, I don't know if they're up there, but just from looking at some of their numbers, they're pretty close. Yeah. Um, and so, it, look, this offensive line is going to struggle the next three weeks. Is there a reason to have any optimism for them to do anything significantly well? Because they haven't done anything significantly well since they beat Virginia back in September. Um, and so I think this is a chance where, like with the defensive line, I think you got to find your five best guys, no matter who they are, how you got to line them up, and you roll with them. Um, and and look, if you got to make changes, and you you know, there's something that that's what you got the bye week for. They hopefully they address the issues, um, and and they made some corrections because if not. This offense isn't going to put up the type of numbers it's put up against these defenses moving forward because these defenses can take away Josh Downs a lot better than the Miamis, the Florida States, and those type of teams. Um, so if Carolina can be confident up front, it at least gives this offense a chance to move the football. Yeah, no, I, and it's it's got to start with this game moving forward because, I mean, look, this believe it or not, this may honestly be – the easiest of the three games that you play coming up. I mean, it's very debatable. Yeah, I, I, I don't subscribe to that. I think Notre Dame is a good football team. Um, that environment is going to be a, a, a hard environment to win. We can't, can't we can't hold ourselves against a Georgia Tech in a, in the in the Georgia or in the Mercedes Benz Dome. Notre Dame's not going to beat themselves. You got to beat them. They're a sound football team. They're, they're not going to make the mistakes that we're going to make as often. Um, and so it's going to take Carolina's best game. It, might, it may take the best game of the Mac Brown era to beat this team on Saturday night. And we'll tell you a little bit about, more about what that is going to involve when we come back right after this message from DraftKings. We'll be back to the Heel Tough Blog podcast after this message from DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this weekend? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bet. Winner, winner, chicken parm dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
All right, and we hope you guys are taking advantage of those great opportunities over there at DraftKings. Remember, uh, promo code TPPN as part of the Pigskin Podcast Network, a great deal that you guys get uh, because they have allowed us onto their uh, network, and we greatly appreciate that. So you talked about it, some of the keys to the game. I think one of the big things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks that Carolina's got to be able to do in this game is they have got to limit penalties. As you mentioned, Notre Dame's not a team that's going to beat themselves. It's very, very rare. Um, and and Carolina's one of those types of opponents that right now isn't playing at the level that they need to to be able to get away with penalties and still win this football game. So I definitely think that you've got to see a more concerted effort from Carolina to limit the issue the penalty issues that really hurt him against Florida State and nearly cost him the game against Miami. Yeah, penalties at this point in the season, the the stupid ones where wide receivers are committing false starts, offensive linemen's committing false starts, they should result in benchings. Um, that's the only way it's going to get through to these guys to quit quit making these mistakes. Um, and, and it's just it's a sign that this isn't a well-coached football team because they've made the same mistakes over and over, week in and week out. You can't do that on a at home half the time. You can't do it on the road in that environment in a stadium you've never won in against a team that's not going to commit the same the same type of penalties you're going to commit because their head coach will hold them accountable and say something questionable in the post game afterwards if they play to if, if they don't meet the standard that he wants them to play. So um, it's been disappointing the last couple of games because because those games were at home. Hopefully that got corrected during the bye week. Yeah, and I, I think that. It's it's got to be known. They've had stretches like this before, uh, and most of them are usually two, maybe three game stretches where they have double digit penalties. So this th- this has got to be the week where they get that corrected in the bye week. You've got to be a lot smarter than you've been in these last couple of games. And I mean, look, there there are penalties that are acceptable if you take some of these penalties down the field on if you're beat on a route. But those those aren't the penalties that are happening. The one that I think. You, you cannot see going forward the illegal man downfield, the amount of times that that penalty has been taken this year just drives me absolutely insane. And I know, look, that's part of RPO. That's one of the tricky things that is, is still a work in progress because you see it a bunch even in the NFL right now. But that, that's something you've got to avoid those types of penalties, the false starts, those types of issues that back you up on these drives. Because look, especially on the offensive side of the ball right now, you're having enough trouble consistently moving the football. And on the defensive side, you've got to avoid these penalties that give teams first downs. I mean, you had seven of them in the game against Miami. That cannot happen in this game. If you can get off the field on third down, you don't need a penalty that's going to allow a good team like Notre Dame to keep moving the football. One of the other things that they've got to do, Carolina's, look, coming into the season, this was a game that you thought these could be two teams relatively evenly matched when they met. That is not the case in this game. If Carolina wins this game, this is a major upset. And what happens a lot in major upsets? You force a lot of turnovers. Carolina's got to be able to force turnovers 
and they have to protect the football. You've got to have a turnover margin in this game of probably plus two or more if you want to win this game against Notre Dame. And look, Notre Dame's a team that has turned the football over at times this year. It's there to be had. Carolina's done a better job than the last couple of years of forcing turnovers. That's got to be part of the recipe if you want to win this game on Saturday. It's not only just converting turnovers. If they do convert turnovers because there are times where Notre Dame goes brain dead on the offensive side of the football, you've got to convert those into points and not field goals. you got to get touchdowns. That is that is a recipe for um, an upset. I like your number of plus two. Um, I think that's the minimum you got to get at if you want to have any vying chance to, to win this football game because I don't think you're going to be able to move the football up and down the field, so you got to get on short fields or without Kyle Hamilton that's going to be a big loss mm-hmm. for that defense for you to try to get points on the scoreboard and then and offensively you know you, you, you got to protect the ball a little bit better. Sam has had moments where he's trying to make plays that he shouldn't have to that he shouldn't have to make, but he's had to make those type of plays. There result and, and turnovers. How do you do that? You protect him a lot better. Give him time to either find an open man, that being Josh Downs, or tucking and run if no one else is available. Then we're not having to consistently force the football down the field or, or win the 50-50 balls. He's had a couple of those turnovers this year where he's thrown balls up. That his ain't receivers happening. are there. Got to make plays on the ball. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to at this point. You can. It, it, this cannot be the same offense that we've seen through the first half of the year. You've got to have other guys step up. And that's something where in this two weeks that you've had between games, you, you've had to have had somebody get inspired to step up and play better. It's just that simple. But in, in, in speaking to that, my third key to the game is Sam Howell needs to go off. He needs to have an unbelievable game. And look, is he capable of doing that? For sure. We've seen that plenty of times in his career. We haven't seen many of those moments so far this year. I would say his best game this season is probably Virginia. But you, I mean, he's got to be dominant in this game if you want to be able to keep up and win this football game. I think he's it's it's definitely possible. He needs a lot of help around him, though, and I, I think there are guys that are capable of doing that, but this has got to be the game where you start and, and, and step up, but you need your quarterback to be fantastic. Yeah, he's going to have to play the best game of his life for Carolina to win. I mentioned that Carolina's got to probably got to play the best game of the Mac Brown 2.0 era to win. That starts and ends with slinging Sammy Howell. If he can go out there and put up the type of performance he's capable of, and he's capable of putting up a, a big-time performance. We've seen it in the, in the big games before where he does show up and he plays at a really high level. Then Carolina's going to have a fighter's chance to win the football game, you got to protect him. You got to get some help on the on the outside for Josh Downs. You got to be able to run the football. You've got to use him in in the running game as much as we've we've stressed not him not wanting to run the football. He's arguably the best option for this team to run the football. Um, he's probably going to have what we what we would have were hoping to think was a Heisman moment. He's going to have that type of game on Saturday night. If he doesn't play well, this game will be over in the first half because he will be the best player on the field. Um, on Saturday night. Yeah, and look, he's you're going to know very quickly because it was very obvious in the games against Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech on the road that he that it was not going to be a good night for him or for the offense. It's going to be very evident early on. 
pro- part of it will probably be what does the offensive line look like because he's a guy that's going to need some protection in this game. Him scrambling with two or three guys chasing after him this year has not worked out very well for him. So you've got to be able to help him out, but he needs to have, as you said, that Heisman-type performance. I mean, look, I'm not saying he's got to be like he was last year against Wake Forest, but he's got to probably uh, he's got to be at least probably around 350 yards passing and maybe 100 on the ground yeah. if Carolina wants to win this game uh, on Saturday night. So we'll move into our official predictions for this game. Uh, you know, I, I think the pressure is off Carolina. I wonder if that is realized here in this bye week. That hey, look, this is not. This is not the season that we were expecting, and now it's a chance for us with the opponents that lie ahead in what has been a crazy college football season. It's a chance for us to start pulling some upsets and to start generating a little bit of buzz around us yet again and and show people that, hey, look – We may not have lived up to the expectations in the first half of the season, but this is still a program that people should be keeping an eye on moving forward. That being said, this is a lot to ask to go up to South Bend, a place that you have never won before, and you're a team that still has a lot of flaws. Those didn't go away in the bye week. We wish they did, but they didn't. They're still there. Uh, I think Carolina fights uh, for the first half of this game. I think they'll be in it. I think this will be probably one of the more inspired performances that we'll see here uh, in recent weeks from the defense um, early on, but I think Notre Dame just has too much in this game. Uh, I I think it ends up, you know, Carolina puts up some points, but not a ton. Uh, I think it's somewhat similar to last year's game. I'll give uh, Notre Dame a little bit more of an edge than they had last year. I like the Irish 34-17 over the Tar Heels. Yeah, I I think Carolina is going to play with some passion in the first half. Um, I do think the physicality of Notre Dame, I think it's going to wear them down. It's going to be cold. Carolina's not overly used to playing in the cold. I think Notre Dame's going to be able to wear them down. And look, Notre Dame's still got a lot to play for. There's a lot that's going to be decided in the next five to six weeks. They could still make the playoff, honestly. Carolina's just looking to make a bowl game. So Notre Dame's going to be more invested. It's at night in that stadium. Touchdown Jesus is going to be on their side. And, well, Jesus in general is going to be on their side. I think Notre Dame wins 24-7. Okay, yeah, all right. I mean, that that would probably be a pretty solid performance for the defense that a lot of people would be pretty confident in. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of people going into this game, you just want to see some of these incremental steps for this team uh, going into games that maybe feel a little more winnable uh, on the back. I mean, really at this point, you're targeting those last two games of the season as the ones you've got to win to get into a bowl game. And I think that's what Carolina's probably looking towards. Can they maybe pull an upset? You never know. I mean, Wake Forest could be a team that could roll in undefeated. A lot of pressure. Uh, Pittsburgh's a team that at this point, I mean, right now, those two teams look like they're heading for a collision course in the ACC championship game. So Carolina's just got to start building momentum, build a little bit of momentum there. Look, if you pull the upset, great. Then you can build off of that momentum moving forward. But at the least, you want to see some signs that some guys are starting to emerge, that the offense is starting to consistently move the ball, that there is some hope for this defense that we thought could at least take a step this year and has taken a major step back. That's what you're looking for in this game. Now, the good news is is that as we turn to our closing notes off the field, 
Carolina's doing some good things. They are still killing it on the recruiting trail. Carolina now the only team in the 2022 class that has two commitments inside of the top five prospects in that class. They picked up the commitment during this past week on Thursday night from Zach Rice. As you guys know, uh, that was a huge day on the on the website, huge day on the podcast side of things, everything like that. You guys really enjoyed that content, so we're happy that we could bring that to you. Um, and, and look, I think this is you know a, a, a really big piece for Carolina in this class. The, they now have the two guys that when we talked about this class back last year after the 2021 early signing period wrapped up, and we talked about the most wanted on the list. You had Zach Rice and Travis Shaw. And we went back and forth. Me and Zach Hubbard were talking multiple times about which one of these guys were more important for Carolina. Well, now you don't have to have that argument going forward. Both of these guys are there. And those are the two areas where Carolina has needed to improve. Look, they've recruited very well on the defensive line over the past couple of years. They've got to keep that going. And the one piece that they were still kind of looking for was that guy that fit that nose tackle position perfectly that's what Travis Shaw feels like he's a guy that a lot of people are looking at and say look this is very similar you're getting vibes very similar maybe not the same exact player but to Dexter Lawrence a guy that Carolina let get out of state to Clemson so this was a big get for Carolina in terms of Travis Shaw and then on the other side of the trenches you get Zach Rice, who's an offensive tackle that, look, he may not come in and play tackle right away. This is a guy that already the skills are there, the physicality's there, the size is there. If you put a little more weight on him, this is a guy that could probably play guard for you starting next year. Carolina's offensive line this year has been terrible. There is no way around that. They need talent there. This goes a long way to trying to help that, if, especially if you combine it with two four-star guys from last year. Now, one element that I want to talk about just really quickly here before we sort of I run through one other quick note and then we get out of here. You mentioned that you thought that this could mean that Stacey Searles keeps his job because you basically you feel like he – probably had a pretty big role in this I mean he's your offensive line coach if he was not involved with that recruitment at all that's a that's an indictment of him as a recruiter the main thing is this he has no excuse if he returns as the uh, the offensive line coach and he doesn't develop this guy he's a lost cause well here's the thing he should retire from coaching he is it the, not trying to, he was definitely involved in this recruitment you're the position coach you're always going to be involved his primary recruiter was not Stacy Searles it was Dre Bly and some people may say well how does that make sense because Dre Bly can sell Kool-Aid to anybody and Dre Bly again this is in his area it's, it, 757 guys are almost really just the state of Virginia but especially the guys in the Tidewater area are always going to be Dre Bly guys. He comes from that area. He knows a lot of those people around that area, a lot of the coaches, the regional coaches that do the camps, all that kind of stuff. That is his area. He has done unbelievable damage there, especially in this class, and he's still working on it as of right now as well. This is that that's why he's the primary recruiter. At the same time though, if you go and look at some of the articles that were written about this recruitment, 
you saw a lot about the Virginia offensive line coach who was one of the main reasons that most people thought he would end up committing there. Uh, He actually committed to Carolina on uh, the Virginia offensive line coach's birthday. So that, that, that was definitely a little bit of a shocker. That's why most people felt like he would probably end up going to Virginia because they didn't think it was a coincidence. Apparently, it turns out it was. Um, but you heard a lot about him. You didn't hear a ton about Stacy Searles. He was mentioned, but when he talked after the commitment, the thing that stood out the most to me was you did not hear Stacy Searles get brought up by name. And usually, they will bring up their position coaches by name. They will say, hey, you know, I have a really good relationship with so-and-so. I'm really excited to play for so-and-so. Now, maybe I'm reading into that too much. He talked, one, about Mac Brown being a national championship head coach, wanting to play for a guy that's got a ring, wanting to play for a guy that he felt very comfortable with and a guy that he felt like could get him to where he wants to go, which is probably to the next level. He said, didn't say that, but did say he he wants to play for a guy that can get him to a spot where he can, you know, have his family in good standing and allow his mom to retire. Um, And he did say that... I think the biggest thing for him was that the Virginia class that Carolina is bringing in is absolutely loaded. You're talking about right now uh, four of the top eight players from the state in that recruiting class are already committed. And, of course, Carolina is going hard after another guy who I'll mention here in just a second that's inside of the top five prospects in that class as well in the state. So I think those are the two big things that stood out for him. The fact that he didn't mention Stacey Searles, I think – is very interesting. And I think that's one of those guys where if Stacy Searles ends up getting let go at the end of the season, I feel like he's a guy that's more committed to the school. He's more committed to the direction of the program and the guys that are currently committed in that class than he is to the actual position coach. Let's hope so, because Stacy Searles does not deserve to be the, the offensive line coach today, let alone uh, going into next season. And it's glad to see that uh, people are still buying what Mac Brown is selling, um, because usually in times like these, you can lose a recruit or two over some losses. They still feel like Carolina is on the upswing. Um, which means that the pressure will still be on the program heading into next season. Yeah, and we've talked about it. The pressure on the program is definitely going to be heavy next season. But again, you're getting the talent in there. It's now about developing that talent into a a group that can compete year in and year out. And again, I've said it. You have to start by resetting your goals as a program in terms of you, you thought, okay, we can jump the goal of just winning the ACC Coastal year in and year out. Some people even thought we can jump the winning the ACC year in and year out. We want to be a team right on the edge of the playoff. Now you've got to Make first a bowl game. focus on winning the ACC Coastal. That's what your program goal has to be first. Win that a couple of years in a row, then you can start saying our program our program goal every single year is to win the ACC Championship game and be in the college football playoff hunt if not in the playoff. 
that's where you've got to realize that the program is at. And some guys still seem uh, pretty excited about that being the goal on the recruiting trail. So uh, that that's huge. One of the guys that Carolina is still trying to recruit and add to that 22 class is Andre Green Jr., four-star wide receiver. That would be huge. Carolina really needs uh, you know some of these guys on the outside. I think that's probably helping Carolina a little bit to say, hey, look, Right now, we don't have that guy on the outside. You could come in and make an immediate impact for this team and be that guy that goes up and gets the football on the outside that we're lacking right now. Uh, the news that uh, has come out about him is he is officially, as of today it looks, going to take his official visit to Clemson. So this looks like this is going to be a three-horse race. Um, it, it was kind of what we expected. We talked about it uh, on you know one of the last editions of the podcast. Actually, it was during the Zach Rice Commitment Podcast. Uh, we talked about the fact that it was Carolina, Clemson, and Georgia. Those are the three schools right now. Carolina still looks to be in a pretty good spot, but Clemson and Georgia are not going anywhere. And with him taking that official visit to Clemson, uh, it means that he is still very seriously considering them, and that is something to monitor going forward. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast here. Make sure you guys head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Uh, Zach Rice, whole bunch of stuff up there on the website about him right now, so make sure you guys go and check that out uh, while you're over there. We'll, of course, be you know continuing to follow recruiting. It is in season, and again, you know we are a little bit stretched for time as opposed to how we've been uh, in previous years. Uh, with uh, the current jobs that we are working, but we are still, you know, getting everything that we need to get to you guys in terms of the on-field stuff and everything like that. Uh, we'll have any of the major recruiting news as well. That'll still be on the website. Uh, and, of course, you guys can check out as we've hit the midseason point, and they'll still be relevant until that game against the Fighting Irish on Saturday, the midseason grades. I went through, took a look at every position group, and broke it down. So you guys uh, can go in and check that out. That's one of the staples that we do every year. This year, probably a little more harsh than it's been in past years, for sure. Um, but again, you guys can take a look, uh, see some of the groups that uh, need to improve down the stretch, some of the groups that maybe are performing a little bit better than maybe you had realized so far this season as Carolina turns the page to that difficult back half of the schedule. And uh, of course, we will have you covered with everything Notre Dame will have the preview, the uh, recap, and the stock report for you guys to check out with that. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're still rolling here. Carolina's uh, still got an opportunity. Bowl game is, is pretty much the uh, the goal at this point with what the schedule uh, has ahead of them. So uh, we'll have you covered all the way through the end of the season, whether Carolina makes a bowl game or not uh, on that side of things. Basketball, uh, 15 days away. As of right now, uh, that is crazy that it is that close already. Carolina getting ready to tip off uh, against Loyola of Maryland. They had their scrimmage the other day against Florida. We have a podcast edition that you guys can listen to where we talk about that. We also preview the front court uh, on the Four Corners podcast feed, so make sure you check that out. In terms of the stuff on the website, Josh is going to be getting you ready. The front court preview uh 
when are this week? That's okay. So who I, that may be up when this podcast edition comes out. Um, so that is that that that's going to be huge. We'll of course have the backcourt preview for you. Are we doing bold predictions as an article? No, we are not doing bold predictions as an article. But that is a podcast to keep an eye on going forward. And then of course that'll lead you right into the start of the season where we will preview the game against Loyola Maryland. Josh will have that for you and then uh, take you throughout the season as we have in the past. Uh, podcast editions will be flying out uh, like it's like, like it's candy at this point. Uh, so make sure you guys are sticking around for that. It's an exciting basketball season and the excitement continues to grow around Hubert Davis and his program as the season grows closer. So uh, again, Podcasts uh, for you know Mon Heel Tough Blog podcast and the Four Corners podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed to both. They're on uh, either platform, you know, any of the major platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of those ones. You can check out both of those podcasts and make sure that you subscribe to both, so that when a new edition comes out, it goes straight into your podcast library, and you will usually get a notification that'll let you know, hey new additions out make sure you listen to it uh, best place to check out everything that we just talked about there and the video editions of the podcasts that you may be watching right now is on the Facebook page Heel Tough Blog on Facebook make sure you like and follow the page when you do it'll give you a notification whenever one of the videos is coming out whether it's live or if it's a premiere it'll tell you that right in your notifications tab and all those articles that we've written all those articles that you may miss if you don't come across it in one of the Facebook groups. You can get those right on your timeline so you don't miss any of those going forward. So make sure that you are uh, liking that page. And then you can also find that same stuff over on the Twitter page. At Heel Tough Blog uh, is the main page. And then you can check out our personal pages. We put just about everything up there as well. At HTB Anthony for me. At HTB Josh for him. And then our recruiting guy at HackZubber2 uh, if you want to follow him on the socials. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Once again, want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for watching and listening and as always go toys